Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Oh, tonight we got them. Goldie, the Sulk, and JC. Oh, welcome back to another episode of a typical disgusting display, a podcast for writers by writers who hate writing. Uh, we're going to be talking with our old buddy Mike Gibbons today. We're excited for that. Next week, we got hilarious comedian Dana Gould. We're yes. fired up for that. Yes, yes, um, yes. But then the next week, the week after Dana Gould, mm-hmm. so two weeks from now, we're go- we had a guest host, we and we had decided, like, because like Carson, we wanted to honor the Johnny Carson tradition. He had hilarious guest hosts from time to time. So we wanted to do that, and we asked our good friend Mike Scully, who's been on the podcast a couple of times, if he would guest host, and he was nice enough to say yes. yes. Would you like to take the wheel of a car that's on fire? <laughs> Basically, <laughs> yeah. And he said, can I roll down the windows? And so we said yes, and he said yes. But The captain of the Titanic occasionally had to use the bathroom. Even <laughs> That's how long it was sinking, and someone would come in. Yeah, and hold the wheel oversee the sinking. (laughs) Just oversee the sinking process, make sure that was going smoothly. So yes, that's what Mike graciously agreed to do for us. But unbeknownst to to me and Goldie, and and JC, you're going to have to answer for this a little bit. We're going to have a little congressional subcommittee hearing right now. Um, Mike has chosen as his co-host none other than John Viner. Who, who was specifically not invited to be a part of this podcast. And now and he's going to be like running the goddamn show. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can't say that anymore. I mean, he's, he's now been invited he's to be a part of this podcast. Efficient. Just not by us. Right. By JC. Yeah. What did you do? Did you make some shady deal here? No shady deals, but don't you think it'll be hilarious? He gets to talk about you guys on your own podcast. Yeah, that's what I'm afraid of. <laughs> that's what we're hoping for. <laughs> I mean, the good news was in texting with him, he wasn't really familiar with the podcast. <laughs> it's true. That's right. It is true. So I don't know that he has any idea what he's hosting or right. what's been talked about. Or <laughs> well, he knows. Called... I'm pretty sure he knows who JC is. <laughs> yes. So yes, yes we work together. Yeah. Yes, okay. he, he does lots of voices for Family Guy. <laughs> but I'm kind of rip shit about this. Like, I, I, I think... We're letting a fox into the. We listen every week. You know your shit's ripped anyway. (laughs) (laughs) First joke of the day. First joke of the day. (laughs) Thank God. (laughs) Got that out of the way. I know. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. That's that's another story, which of which there are many chapters that continue to unfold. (laughs) But let's focus on John Viner and not my anus here for a minute. (laughs) John Viner. He. This. I am going on record 
This is a bad thing for this podcast. <laughs> Why? This cannot stand. I'm just. I'm going on record. It'll be the best episode ever. <laughs> and, over but, under, but also, over under. Oh, Goldie, tell them your favorite episode of SNL. <laughs> well, the one where Donald Trump hosted. Yeah, Obviously. there you go. <laughs> so I'm sensing a theme in what you consider to be the greatest ever, and others may think is a horrifying mistake. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so somehow that, re- and, and Scully's not blameless in this. That's correct. Scully knows better because Mike listens to the podcast. So Mike, if you're out there listening now, how could you do this to us? How? <laughs> how could you invite this man into our show? Well, we'll just see. I mean, because they're the, that's the 99th show. Right. Mike and John Viner. So we'll see if we're even around for the 100th <laughs> after the destruction that these two create i kind of wish it was the hundredth it'd be a good good way to yeah. round out the hundredth <laughs> it'd take a lot of the pressure off us I know. oh god i still have fingers crossed for some big guests for the 100th oh boy yeah. Who, who's on our wish list goldie for the hundredth donald guest. trump <laughs> <laughs> second joke of the day, second know, joke of the day. Say. and then if we can't get trump let's get mike pence <laughs> I think Mike Pence is gettable. I think we could do that. He's looking. We should spr- invite all of the Republican nominees on. And see, and see, someone would take it. You're probably right. Oh my god! That this after see Goldie one week after watching Gutfeld, suddenly you <laughs> want shifted. the Republican. Yeah. The Republican. Christie on here. Yeah, let's get him. <laughs> oh my god! It's a crowded field. Actually, that would solve a problem for us. We could have like eight weeks of guests just right. baked yes. in. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and then after we have each one, the others would be, you know, compelled to come. Yeah, and you can be like, so Nikki Haley, like growing up, what, what kind of comedy did you listen to? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're starting to catch on to some of my questions. This is ostensibly a I, writing podcast. You know what? I, all right, fine. I guess I'll ask Mike Gibbons that. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that's a good idea. Eight Republican candidates. Maybe, maybe we have them all on the 100th. Who knows? Right. Um, oh, let's host a debate. That would be cool, too. Yes. Well, this is now your alleged wheelhouse, the debating. Oh, it's for Although, sure. <laughs> I don't know. I'm gonna no, need I'd to have s- to participate. Uh, I'm going to yeah. need to wheelhouse. see some kind of documentation on this. Uh, I will send it this afternoon. Can oh. it, ooh. You ha- <laughs> I love it. You have something? You have something yes, in I, email form? Yes, I do. For what? Oh, a wow. debate? For, to for prove deb- that I won a national debate tournament, I can email you a link. <laughs> We'll, we'll, that will put all this nonsense to rest. Te- By the way, what did you do in high school? <laughs> Besides get hit in the back of the head. No, you're, it's like you're you're seeing the future somehow. <laughs> yeah. No. What did you? What's your big? What's the big flag you planted? You were like Kanicki in Greece or something? Like you didn't? What did you do? I, like how, why am I taking abuse? What, what's your landmark achievement? Right now, go. Your signature high school moment. Valedictorian. Is this true? No. Val. He went to Connecticut College. No, it's not true. You don't graduate a private school, valedictorian, and then go to Connecticut College. I chose to go to Connecticut College because of the women. (laughs) Wait, did you really? You were valedictorian. Yeah, I put as I like to say, I put the dick in valedictorian. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, now I need to see some proof. Wait, this is the first time. Will Willis. Will Willis. (laughs) I can get Will Willis to Wait, tell you that so I was valedictorian. Goldie, how long have you two been friends? Uh, since 1996. I was going to say a week. <laughs> 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 a 
And this is the first you're hearing of this, Goldie? No, he's yes. he, he blocked it out. He no, I've never out. heard this, and no one else has brought it up. Okay, can I can I put a little asterisk by that? I, I assume there's a huge asterisk. It's mostly asterisk. <laughs> well, tiny, every, tiny fine print, asterisk. huge asterisk. By yes, the way, go ahead. Every, every day I use bamboo toilet paper, there's an asterisk. <laughs> <by> the <way. laughs> but no, the asterisk by this uh-huh. is that it was not based on grades. What the fuck are, are you, you talking, talking about? Yeah. Then, then, then was, I won the basketball game. Not according to the baskets. I took the most dribbles. That's what, the way like, they did it at our school. You? That's the way they did it at our school. It was an so, election. It was an elected uh, position. And people don't want to win because it's a disgraceful thing because it. it means nothing. I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> Is it like no. homecoming king? Yes. Yes. I was essentially homecoming king. I was a homecoming queen. You were? (laughs) Oh, maybe you two can hook up. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Must be nice to be so popular. So anyway, yes, and you can you hey Goldie, you can you can back channel with uh, Kidder, Hudner, Harmon, Bottle Viner. of Red, Oob, Brenda Renetti. That's you too. He's from an Italian restaurant. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> with a popular steady in the summer of '91. So wait, you weren't valedictorian based on yes. your grades. You were basically homecoming right. king. He was. It was most called. Popular. It was called valedictorian when they announced the valedictorian, and in the programs for graduation, well, it said valedictorian. And there was we a, call a, our my... hamburger chocolate cake. You just had a chocolate cake sandwich. Like, okay, the words have words mean nothing. Great. All I'm saying is, you challenged me. Okay. To an achievement, You're right? And it was unlocked instantly. Right, and I cool. and I'm still waiting on that email. Well, still waiting. Congratulations on your yes. phony baloney non-accomplishment. Yeah, it was uh, most likable. It was kind of a joke. And no, and and speaking of jokes, let's get in to Johnny jokes. <laughs> Whoa! Look at you, smarty pants! Because here comes some valedictory humor here. <laughs> Not based on grades. I'll remind you, not based on grades in any way. Oh wow! All right, I got I got a Fab Five today that I'm going to hustle through. There are actually Uh, four, but four is now called five. (laughs) Middlesex calls four five. It was voted voted on it, and you've been named top five. (laughs) You're actually number three hundred. Okay, here we go. Uh, An historic church in Spencer, Massachusetts, has burned to the ground after it was struck by lightning. When asked why an act of God would destroy his church, the local pastor tugged his collar and said, "Uh, I don't know, what have you heard? (laughs) (laughs) You couldn't see at home that I was actually tugging my collar. That's very good. That's very good. Very good. Uh, Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt, maybe you've heard of him. Brad Pitt is suing Angelina Jolie, alleging she vindictively sold their winery in the midst of their divorce. Uh, you can read all about it in this month's edition of Wah. <laughs> <laughs> For a lot winery. of very nineties. <laughs> yes, very nineties. This that. month's edition of yes, yeah, that's fake very magazine. 90s. Yeah. yeah, there are no more magazines. Uh, okay. <laughs> A Maryland man has the first recorded case of the measles since 2019. 
When asked if the CDC would issue a warning, a spokesman for the agency said, not for one measly case. <laughs> well, that man will probably be featured in wah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He's, he's got an insert in wah. <laughs> All right, here's a word sandwich. A statue in Vienna honoring a famously anti-Semitic mayor has become the subject of controversy. Many are saying it should be torn down. Others feel it should be left alone, with a third contingent feeling that it should be placed in front of a Jewish bakery so it can always know the Holocaust. Oh, boy. <laughs> wow. Hala being Jewish bread. Uh, there's the your Holocaust. valedictorian, Concord. <laughs> there he is. There he is. Up not, on, not based on, on grades. Put a crown on his head. Crown him. <laughs> Crown this valedictorian. All right. And finally, for me, thank Christ, Michael J. Fox. Michael J. Fox fell off the stage at a Back to the Future panel last week. Uh, fortunately, he was caught at the last minute by a younger version of himself. Oh. Kind of a nice ending it's a there. Nice ending. Yeah. Yes. Handing it over to Johnny, too. Well, speaking of falls, Ooh. Uh, President Biden fell twice last week. Oh, no. But Biden says, don't worry about his health. He's decided to live on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> All right. Uh, yesterday, Apple's chief engineer introduced the Apple Vision Pro, a revolutionary new headset that uh, his wife just lost it. No. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you love Very that. Very Johnny. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, we've been through uh, several phones. Yes. <laughs> I know oh, the yes. feeling. <laughs> uh, in Florida, there was a giant brawl five minutes into a screening of The Little Mermaid. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, the fight began when someone ruined the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Spoiled. <laughs> yes, spoiled the beginning. That would have been better. Thank you, Mr. Valedictorian. <laughs> Classmates. <laughs> Earlier today, a drunk, rowdy passenger was dragged off a southwest plane in New Orleans. Uh, she was rushed through the airport and still able to pilot her spirit air flight on time. <laughs> <laughs> and finally... Uh, <clears throat> This is not a bumper crop this week, by the way. We know they get worse. Bumper. Here we go. Uh, Finally, uh, Russia has bombed a critical dam in the Ukraine, resulting in mass flooding and a potential meltdown of a nearby nuclear plant. Uh, But Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky has just taken the airwaves and announced, don't worry, the vodka is fine. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right, folks, we are so excited today. We have an old friend here on the podcast today. He has worked with everyone in Late Night, Corden, Kilborn, Letterman most recently, which we'll talk to him about, Norm MacDonald, our great friend Brody Stevens. He's written for the Oscars. He's won Emmys. Folks, please welcome Emmy-winning writer, Mike Gibbons. Mike, <laughs> thanks for being here today. Welcome. Oh, wow. Good to be on this. You, you left off one thing. He's 
one of the few people in Hollywood who's actually made eye contact with Ellen DeGeneres. <laughs> ah, well, we, that's unconfirmed. That's unconfirmed. We will oh, get it's to confirmed. That. It's confirmed. Oh, we'll get to that, too. And, and Comedically, was a... we got along great. That's why I worked on the Oscars with her. But the show oh, cool. was everything you've heard. And was there a cool. spark there when there was eye contact? <laughs> All right, we'll get to that later. I thought and, for a while. <laughs> and so, Mike, I feel like you grew up in New York. Is that right? Yeah, I did. I'm a New Yorker okay. for sure. All right. So what what kind of stuff when you were growing up uh, made you laugh? What kind of comedy stuff were you listening to in your house when you were a kid? I don't, you know, looking back on it, I wasn't, I always felt inferior, like, especially early high school, like to people that could quote Monty Python and all that stuff. And I, I was drawn more to stand-ups and um, di- believe it or not, oddly, I loved David Brenner. Um, oh, that is weird. It is so weird. And I got, he had like some book called like Pretzels and Mustard or some Philadelphia. Th- Meanwhile, I really dislike people from Philadelphia now. So I don't know how that happened. Maybe it's because of my like, I love the city. I just hate the people. But Brenner, <laughs> support like the Boston, war, hates the truth. Somehow troops. angrier. Like, I don't know how they did it. Yes, that's true. They are an angrier Boston. It's because they're, they're like not a even nastier Boston. They're not even thought of. Like in the New York, Boston, Big Brother, Little Brother thing, Philadelphia is yeah. like not even left out. Right. Oh uh, yeah. yeah. So, but but Steve Martin, I would say, was my north star. Like I, 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 my mom still has this Christmas photo of me like opening his Wild and Crazy Guy album, and I'm under the tree with it. So I would say that absurdism, and then you know. Early on, I, I guess I'll give myself a little credit. Early on, I, I I was ADD and everything, so short stories was almost all I could do. And I found Woody Allen short stories. And those, yes. I think Steve Martin set me up to understand those with just absurdist comedy. Right. So I, I guess those, but I, I don't have stories like where I wore out an album. I mean, I guess Wild and Crazy Guy is the closest I got. Yeah, that's that's quality stuff, though. And I that. didn't really start liking Cosby till the last few years, so that wasn't <laughs> that wasn't really. He's trending up for you now. <laughs> yeah, I mean now I get it. Yeah, he's never been funnier. No, now he has some edge. <laughs> oh my God! So now you, Mike, you you are Irish, and I am, so yeah, my dad's so, like super American Irish. Well, his my grandfather was from ireland so yeah. it was a very irish thing in the bronx uh which i oh. went to all the time growing up now we've talked to different people like irish jewish there are similarities there did you grow up feeling like things were funny because they everything kind of sucked or was there a part of your irish upbringing that sort of laid the the groundwork for you to become a successful comedy writer yeah i mean i went for one very bad year to Iona Grammar School uh, in Nourish Shell and got a hit in the face and uh, by the teacher, I mean. And Oh, God. No, and when I tell the story, my kids are like, so you grew up in the 30s? I'm like, this was 1980, like when you were in seventh grade. And uh, so it's, I don't know about, I can't, although my wife and from what I'm told by the fine print, my kids are Jewish, but I, 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 it's just a, it's just crazy. The religion is full blown crazy, and much more so in the Catholic Church. Like a real hard line, you better believe this craziness at word value. Like it's it, it's the most insane thing to tell a child. Never mind, everyone just even forgets 
let's go to the most sacred place ever where there are torture images on every window. There's a guy <laughs> a really bleeding to somebody, like, and you're like five or four, <laughs> so and you're like, true. this is this is your safe space with that guy. Like they don't even let you show that image on television before 10 p.m. What the fuck are you talking about? Such a good point. That's so funny. Oh yeah. my God. So, and also I think, and we're all, we're the, un, you know, I know very unpc for an old white guy to say, but I think both religions were really in a weird way, like the underdogs and the outsiders. Um, at least it's that history. So when you're talking about our Jewish grandparents and Irish grandparents and Jewish uncles and Irish uncles, there are crazy outsider stories. Yes. Never inside the system ever. So I think that sets us up a little. Yeah. 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 That's, that's interesting. And did you. And anger, at least the, I I mean, I love. Oh, I remember working with you. Yeah. Yeah. I remember working with you. Clearly have too much. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I was just saying, I remember working with you with the anger stuff. Um, so did your, when your family came over from Ireland, your grandfather, did you guys settle in the New York area? Yeah. My dad, and I, I just, I just say all this because I think it makes me seem cooler. My dad was born in Harlem. Nice. And, uh, Way before, way, by the way, early adopter, way before it was taken over by white people. And, right. uh, <laughs> and, uh, and then my mom was born in the Bronx and my, da- and my dad's family, then the Irish moved to this place called Albany Crescent, which was an Irish neighborhood in the Bronx. The Jewish neighborhood was just south of it, like Grand Concourse. And so um, anyway, grew up there. And uh, yeah, and that, that Irish community was very, well, my grandmother actually was from Nova Scotia. And they met in Boston, the Irishman and the Nova Scotia woman. And um, so it was very much an immigrant neighborhood. And then, of course, you know, in the 80s and 90s, we'd visit my grandmother on the old block. And we're like, how's the neighborhood, Grandma? She's like, it's all foreigners now. (laughs) She was talking about Puerto Ricans. Right, right, right. Different foreigners than us. Different foreigners. Oh, that's that's such a great, uh, you know, what a what a rich tapestry to grow up amongst. Now, did you start because you were talking about Catholic school getting punched in the face by a teacher, which is I was open hand. It was. Yeah. Don't be don't overstate it. <laughs> <laughs> right. OK. Was it was it open backhand or open forehand? <laughs> it was open for you want to know, though, this is whatever that the risk of getting serious. He came over and I, I didn't expect it. But uh, all of a sudden he was standing over me and his veins were popping out of his neck and chin. And, and then he went and it was a big wind up. And I ducked my head and I I covered my face and it didn't come. And I'm waiting. And I was only, you know, I was one of the only new students because I went there at seventh grade. They had been there since kindergarten. And I waited and I looked up and he, I've never seen this rage. His hand was still cocked and now his face was beat red. And he, I I don't even know how you could write this, goes, don't you ever raise your hand to me. And then he smashed me in the face. Oh my! Whoa! Wait. So, what did you do? I mean, like, why did he yeah. hit you justifiably? Oh, of all things, this <laughs> fucking about... Jew behind me, Silverman. Ah. Uh, Albert Silverman was my best friend, and he could make me laugh, giggle, and he had had enough of giggling, and uh, said one more time, and you know, whatever, you'll get it or something. Yeah. So wow. you were disruptive, and <laughs> Goldie <laughs> tends to take the authoritarian side uh, on the podcast. Listen, here. Goldie, you got to meet the state like, guidelines. Yes. You know, he's under pressure to get you up to those state guidelines for the test, and he's on the he's on a deadline. 
and you're not taking it seriously. So you <laughs> had to helpful. make an example out of it. Yeah. <laughs> this is very helpful. Yeah, I own a, I own a gun. Um, <laughs> terrible. You oh, by the way, I uh, yeah. almost canceled this appearance uh, last week when I heard uh, Mike Lindell pleaded not quilty. <laughs> <laughs> and yet here you are. Here you are. <laughs> what is I that literally about? like press stop and I'm like, I don't know what I'm getting. Oh, I'll, I'll be teeing up this very interview with some gems as well. <laughs> and next time permitting Mike Gibbons. Um, so you said you're giggling with your friend Silverman in class. Yeah. Were you kind of always that way going through school, like a giggler, a, a, you know, I hate using the cliche class clown, but would, would you, did you realize at an early age that you could make people laugh and that you enjoyed laughing yourself? I think so. You know, I, I don't think other people were as obsessed with Steve Martin, you know, I think looking back on it, I didn't realize that then, but I had discipline problems, not hardcore. Like I never did drug, you know, hard drugs or anything like that, but I got kicked out of a lot of schools. And then I went to boarding school sophomore year in Massachusetts uh, at Berkshire in the West in Western Mass. And, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. and so like, I was an odd, like I also would get very involved. So I was president of the student body, but I got kicked out in March of my senior year. And so it was a weird dichotomy. So I think I was disruptive. How do you get kicked out of a high school in March of senior year when everyone stopped caring? <laughs> oh, yeah. What did right. you do? What did you do? I destroyed uh, the alumni. Ba- I, so uh, the president, it's a whatever. The, the, Diarrhea. Uh, the headmaster and I did not get along at, at all. And I was fighting for all these senior rights, which is a tradition in this school. And I thought we were the best. And we were statistically the best class ever. And now it's actually a really good school. And it was on its way up then. It wasn't when yeah, I went. I have a friend who yeah, went Yeah, no, and, it wasn't then. And we actually hosted the Northeastern Hockey Tournament. I'll just mention this because you guys might. This guy, Brian Leach, who became captain of the New York Rangers, he was on campus that night. I remember that because he went to like Canton High School or something, but he was the talk of New England high school hockey. And we had a good team. Anyway, that night was crazy night with the tournament on campus. And it's just as simple as pop off vodka, which was the currency (laughs) boarding school and got drunk. And I was so frustrated. And I guess it was symbolic. I was in the alumni bathroom and I hated the headmaster and was again. And I just, uh, I just snapped and and just destroyed the bat. I just took down all the stalls and went a little crazy. Yeah. I'm on their side again on this one. <laughs> but so wait a minute. Dad. I did notice though when I did some research on you that they sort of brought you back as like a to celebrate you as an alumni. I know, yeah. Well, that got so it's a long story, but the headmaster one thing was he was an alcoholic and so I then had asked for a meeting with the head of trustees because he's like, I'm not, I can't do anything. I'm like, you're the headmaster, like the trustees. I'm like, who are the trustees? So I was looking at schools in Colorado and I met with him in the Denver airport. He was a, a mining millionaire from Boulder or whatever. And, and when I went out there, I like was, you know, 17 and I, and I was shitting myself. Like I was so intimidated by this guy. But anyway, I didn't tell him I was kicked out yet. I was kicked out like a, two days earlier because I went to look at colleges spring break. And I told him like, Hey, you know, you have a problem with this headman. And then he's like, I know he's, he's an alcoholic. I'm like, you know that? Like, like of course they knew everything. (laughs) And, and he's like, between you and me, you know, there's a plan there and I don't want you to worry about it anymore. I'm like, all right, well, between you and me, I'm no longer there. (laughs) Right. You finally told me. (laughs) And did it work? Did you get into the school? Uh, Well, no, the headmaster was such a coward. 
he uh, wanted me gone. I was just a real thorn in his side. So he even wrote me recommendation letters to colleges. He just goes, who's your English teacher? Uh, okay, you'll study from home. I was the first guy to do remote. And so <laughs> you study from home and uh, you'll get your degree. I'll write you recommendation. Like he gave me, my dad was wow. like, something has to be up here. And then my dad vetted it. And he's like, wow, he really wants you gone. Yeah. Wow. What I then, of course, what I say is I was uh, I graduated first in my class because I was (laughs) out out first, literally first. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. I remember at my uh, prep school, I was it was as much less. I was smacked upside the head by our uh, headmaster. Did you? Wait, I used to know where you went. Wellesley went to Westminster, right? Right. I went to a school in Concord called Middlesex. Right, I of was, course. Uh, school yeah, ties. The, set, the set of school ties. That's right. <laughs> and I was uh, smacked upside the head by uh, our then headmaster, Shiny Dave Sheldon, who passed away this year. Um, but he he was never disciplined for any of that. I mean, I didn't make a stink out of it because it's nineteen whatever ninety, and it just still seemed somewhat acceptable. Right. And Goldie, I was kind of you know, I, it was it did was you not. It? Yeah, Goldie, you're not going to ask what he did. It was kind of <laughs> deserved. He knows. It. Well, what did he do? Well, <laughs> actually, our friend John Viner and I wrote an article in the school paper giving the top one hundred nicknames for this new woman who had been would be our first woman headmaster who was coming in the next yeah, year yeah yeah I, I don't need to hear anymore <laughs> you should have been i would have taken the rolled up paper and just <laughs> batted your head around that's what it felt like like a, like i was playing ping pong against a wall and you published this this list oh. Oh yeah, it was in the school oh, paper. My God. Yeah, yeah. I really blame them. I mean, who are who's who's asleep at the goddamn switch there? Um, Mike Barnacle picked it up and went why? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Barnacle, that fucking liar. Um, so tell us a little bit about the road in between college and Hollywood. Like, how did right. you end up out there? I mean, the real short version is I had no. No, and maybe this will speak to your listeners to love this question. And this is one of the reasons they tune in. But like, I had no one in my family. I, I didn't know you could make money legitimate, like, you know, like that it was real that you could like have fun and write jokes and make money. And I had a very business. Not anymore, man. but yeah. That's true. <laughs> Turns out I was right. <laughs> um, my dad was a very businessman, and uh, and so I got a lot of pressure. The uh, two options seemed to be law school or business school. He was pushing me to apply. Uh, I think he even like got the paperwork for me and all that. And then, and in BU, I kind of knew I could write okay. And so the kind of coward's way was all right. I'll have one foot in the real world. So I went to public relations and advertising. And I, I so it'd be I went to Boston University. And they had a, a okay communication school still at that time. Like Syracuse and BU were like rivals and in, in the best. And then BU is one of, I think, one of the worst communication schools now. But they just put all their money. <laughs> they put all their money like in engineering. But like Howard Stern had gone there and all these like people who wanted to be in media went there. Anyway, so. First time hearing of this rivalry. Yeah. Didn't well, really it was why deep. It was the late 80s. So, you're, yeah, you're, I'm, yeah. I'm glad I'm not forced to take a side between Syracuse and BU. I, I don't know what I would do. Many were forced to. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so then went to New York and I was idealistic. And I'm like, all I want to do is uh, work for the Parks Department. 
And uh, they were, it was the recession had started in the early 90s. So they were laying off. And then through my connections, incredible privilege, um, <laughs> I got an interview with the uh, head. There were two, again, the rivalry. There were two huge PR guys in New York, uh, John Scanlon and Howard Rubenstein. Those, those were the two biggies. And so my dad got me an interview with this guy, Scanlon, who was extraordinarily, he actually was the PR guy when the Tylenol was poisoned and everything. like he oh, wow. like I yeah. I had studied him in school. And anyway, I'll just tell you the story because it's a fun one. Um yeah. but but the short answer to what you asked was I got lucky. I didn't believe you could do it. I was in HBO on air promos. <clears throat> they walked into my office uh with tapes one day and they're like, and I got to be known as the comedy guy. I was friends with a lot of stand-ups. So I was friends with Ray Romano and then like, Hey, you got a new show. Like everybody loves Raymond. I'm like, Oh my God, are they going to change that title and all that? <laughs> then I like worked with, I worked with Raymond promoting that. And then that's when I got the taste of it. And I was like, I'm going to write spec scripts. And I wrote what is probably, Oh God, he's the nicest guy from the Raymond staff. I'm awful with names. You had him on your podcast. Lou Schneider, Lou Schneider <laughs> met me. Like I called Ray. I'm like, Hey, I want to drop off this spec script. And like, he, I think Ray like sent Lou out and Lou was so nice and took it. And I hope he threw it right in the trash, <laughs> but that's when I moved to, to LA, but wait back to the PR story. So I get this interview with Scanlon. He always uh, was like walking around and had people on speakerphone. So all of a sudden his like sh uh, assistant sheepishly knocks and he's, he's in the middle of like yelling on his speakerphone and he waves me in. Cause I think he knew my dad. And uh, so I sit there and he's like, he's like, shh. And I'm like, all right. And I hear this like foreign female voice. And he's like, she's like, I don't, I don't think I'm going to brunch tomorrow. And, and he's like, holy shit, Ivana, you fucking idiot. You're going to brunch. Liz Smith is going to be there. You're the victim, 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 victim. He's like, I have all these other victim women meeting you for brunch. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And it turns out Rubenstein was representing Trump in his divorce and Scanlon was representing Ivana. Wow. And and he had arranged a victim brunch. And he goes, I have all the photographers who are going to, you know, pretend to bust in and get the photographs like we paid them. And, uh, and you have to look. He's like, she's like, oh, all right, I'll get my hair and makeup. He's like, no, look like shit. Do you not get this? <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. That is oh a well God. worth story. And, yes. then, and then for anyone, uh, this might be to young writers out there or anyone starting about selling out. So. I sat there and then he takes, he hangs up and he goes, okay, so you want to work in PR? I'm like, yeah. And so he goes, what do you think about Imelda Marcos? I'm like, fuck. <laughs> and I'm Jeez. like, do, do I sell out sentence one to the college? <laughs> like all I wanted to do was work for the New York City Parks Department. And I go, uh, honest answer. He's like, well, that's fascinating. <laughs> He's like, He's like, okay, so all the other times you're going to be lying to me? And I'm like, no, no, no. It's just a hard question. He's like, I know. I'm like, well, I think she's despicable. I go, I think she's despicable. He's like, great answer. He's like, we've just been retained by the Aquino government to maintain Imelda's poor image in the American media. Oh, wow. the right answer. You picked the <laughs> yes. right door. And the you truth. kept integrity. not just do this? This is such a better career than what we did. Oh, no. My, already. I, I had... <laughs> The most killer internship this su summer before my senior year in college at Goldman Sachs. They offered me a position when I graduated. Somehow, somewhere, I knew that wasn't for me. And maybe that's a lesson to listeners: like you'll 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 feel the calling, but a lot there's a lot of things blocking it sometimes. 
And my journey was far from direct. And I kept saying, you can't do that. That's not viable. That's not sensible. That's not responsible. Or, you know, and in many ways, you're right. It's a very unfair business. But I think what's happening lately is also not only is our business going to the toilet, but but other businesses are getting are catching up to the unfair thing. Like the, the, the options, it used to be you could have a very stable life if you wanted versus writing. And I think now it's actually not as easy as that. Yeah. No, I agree with that. So it was HBO on-air promos. So I got I got in promos in New York City. And then HBO heard I could write funny stuff. And then all of a sudden, I mean, talk about feeling like a fraud and all that. I Like first assignment was like, you're flying out like business class to LA and, and you're working with, I think Dennis Miller might've been the first wow. and then Robin Williams and then Ooh. like Shanling. And it was insane. Like I just, I, I, I'd be in like shutters, just the, the overwhelming feeling of not being worthy of any of it was really, really tough. But Odenkirk was the reason I moved to LA. Ultimately, they walked in my office with these three tapes and they're like, good luck with this shit. And I'm like, what? And they're like, no one here. Don't worry. It's, it won't even make it past season one. And it was wow. Mr. Show. <laughs> wow. And I went, I went home that night with, I, I made cop. It was three quarter tape. That's what we're, the year we're talking. Yeah. I made copies to VHS and I went home and I didn't even sleep that night. I couldn't believe how funny it was. So, so funny. Cool. So funny. That. God. Yeah. And so how was there a, um, like a direct connection with Odenkirk? Was that just through helping to write promos for that show? Is that how you became familiar with him? Yeah. And uh, so I got with them and I approached them and I'm like, and I, I played right into what they love to hear. I, Cause they were terrified that HBO would ruin their image. They were, they, 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 they always had that guard up. And I just out of the gate go, I am on your side, whatever so Troy Miller was working with them. And I'm like, you know, HBO has assigned me as the director. I go, I will do whatever you tell me. I go, uh, if if you want to write them, if you want to rewrite, I, I, I'm terrified to give you what I've written, you know, because all of a sudden they just came up with, let's just jump in a field. Like, I can't write that, you know, like at right. that time either. Like, I didn't know you could break those rules. And uh, so I was so like sort of deferential. And then my HBO at a Miami comedy festival. And, and you'll remember it because John Stewart did his hour there. I think it was the last hour he ever did. And so he was there and I knew John Stewart because of Attell and they were in the MTV building when I was working for MTV promo. So I knew John Stewart. He was the nicest guy, nicest stand up out there and everything. And so, but Odenkirk and I were playing pool and he's like, so what, what's your deal? And I'm like, oh my God, he asked me my deal. And so and, you know, we, had, we had gotten kind of close, but he was like, and basically he was like, you have to move to LA. He's like, trust me, I was a writer. I was Conan's roommate at SNL. I did not want to move out of New York, but he goes, if you're, if you're going to, and it sounds like you want to take a shot at this, you've got to move to LA. So yeah, that was probably nice. a year before I met you guys or met you. Didn't Alan. you also have like what everyone dreams of, which you had this great rent control apartment. They just paid you a bunch to get out of it. $311 a month. No. So I did. A, wow. Yeah. 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 In Soho. And oh. so it was, it was a pretty healthy walk up. Don't, don't. And, 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 and I could see kind of the neighbor downstairs through the floor, but um, yeah, it was, it was old Soho. And so, yes, but I actually, my buddy was trying to make it. So I gave it to him. I'm like, it's 311 a month. So I think I got some good karma in that. And then, and then he then got a job at Marvel early on. And so he didn't need it. And he moved up. And then so another friend's 
uh, girlfriend was, uh, and I would send the checks, whatever. People would know these stories. I would have to send the envelope inside an envelope so it would be postmarked in New York so the guy would never catch, the landlord would never catch on that I lived 3,000 miles away from my rent-controlled apartment. (laughs) (laughs) And then back to what Goldie said, then he did find out, he hired a private investigator, called me, told me everything about me. And this is like in the 90s, I was wildly impressed. And yeah. he's like, you bought, you, you bought your car on this date. You bought your house on this date. I'm like, holy <laughs> shit. And, uh, you love Imelda Marcos. Okay, that's the one thing you got wrong. <laughs> you destroyed an alumni bathroom. Yeah. And anyway, uh, we won it. Yeah, but they side with the tenants. So we won in court. And, and then, then he, paid me, he paid me 10 grand to leave. What? Oh, that's so awesome. That's Just at a, yeah. at a time yeah. when 10 grand meant more. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's huge. Are you kidding that's me? huge. It now great. means nothing to people like Goldie. Yeah, no. And is that the only time you've received uh, multiple thousands to go away? Or <laughs> <laughs> next question. Uh, but so okay, now we're 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 getting up to the fun times here because now we get to Kilborn. So when you came to Kilborn, it was a little bit into season one. I forget how. Yeah, yeah. So. What what was that experience like? Because Craig loved you right out of the gate, and so what what was it like coming in for you? Like what? How did you feel about people there? And then to you know, it was, ultimately- it was terrible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, Billy Kimball, who I'm fond of, did not run a friendly ship. Let's be real. Oh, he was and- oldest school. It was it was a, like your board, your uh, Iona school. That's the kind of <laughs> writers room it was. I described, and I don't know if this happened when you were there. I think it still did. Where are in the news jokes? We had to read them aloud in front of everybody, and when Billy was standing up there like a teacher in front of you know people yeah. nodding or shaking his head or making some little remark that would absolutely destroy your day. Right. We did that on the roasts. I know you had Ramos on and she talked a little bit about it, but that's only a way like so people will really treat a deadline seriously. And, you know, they know they have to read it. But roast, it's it's better in that. But every day and late night, that's crazy. So I kind of Billy didn't want me there. That's in, in his defense. He I think the suits were like, hey, we have a problem. You know, this is an, uh, this is a shaky ship. You know, it's a launch. And which it launched unbelievably well, don't get on, on screen, but I guess the office and they knew I had mostly a producing experience. I had never been in the WGA or a writer. And so they brought me in for, I think the title they first gave me was like comedy producer. The way I got into Craig's heart, cause he couldn't, he didn't care. He, no. Billy probably, Billy probably told him, hopefully this guy's out in a month. Like, I don't know why he's here, but when I had all this time and I wasn't a writer technically, so they didn't want me writing news jokes or anything like that. I just really dove into five questions. And I didn't know, it sounds like I'm a genius who kind of, you know, sort of assessed my host, what he liked most and wrote to that sweet spot. That's, I just got lucky or smart. that those are the closest thing to his heart. Absolutely. Can I stop you for a second? Because I think this is an important point for people who want to do this is whoever you're working for, there's always something seemingly insignificant they care about way more than the show. <laughs> and yes. if you can find that out and serve as that, yeah. you'll have so much job security forever. <laughs> right. Great advice. That's totally true. And for Craig, certainly five questions was like 
his absolute favorite thing, the thing that took, you know, maybe five minutes to write. He, but we he, had dinner with him last night, and he was still talking about a question from 20 <laughs> yeah. years which ago. Which one? Ian McKellen? No, that's the best, though. Yeah. Which which one was it, Goldie? Do you no, remember? we talked about when, and I might have, I, I don't know who, but I did start to get good at the subjective questions where he'd be like, uh, second best pie. And someone would be like, Apple, he's like, wrong. Like, yeah, and, yeah. and he loved those. What was the one he brought up last night? Well, you brought up uh, when he was on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, how many denim shirts do I think you own? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, my God. But I don't remember what he brought. I feel like it was a food one. He always liked the food ones. Uh, yeah. You know, like I, for a while there was one about uh, – you can only have one salad dressing the rest of your life. What is it? Right. <laughs> and he I think loves the right answer was blue cheese. Or no, incorrect. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. incorrect. That is incorrect. And then yeah. he'd giggle to himself. Um, all right. So the 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 Irish English war between you and Billy Kimball when you came in was uncomfortable. <laughs> but they they had set that up. The Irish English war against a Jewish Hollywood backdrop. <laughs> <It's> always, <laughs> exactly. We just like to see that. But happen. Billy turned out to be great. And then, yeah, like, no, Billy's awesome. He's, he's yeah. We work. We work well together. Yeah, no, he's you want him he's over. a he's a very funny guy, but he is like old school. Like he he you know he suffers no fools, and he's uh, one of the biggest brains I've ever worked with. Yes, also, absolutely, very funny. Yeah. yeah. So okay, so then you survive the one month period or whatever yeah. people wished it was, and you're thriving there with Craig. When did you make the official switch? Like, okay, I'm, mm. uh, you know what? I'm going to be writing a lot of shit now. Cause I, I remember you as like producing the lion's share of the material for the show. So when did that happen? Like, Oh, I'm not just a producer in five questions. Now I'm going to be involved with everything. I don't remember when that, happened, but I just started writing more and more and you were running the news. And so I would send my jokes to you and, uh, and I liked, again, the more, and everyone did, but the more conceptual, like, and now it's time for uh, Craig's a chef in space or whatever it was, you know, those <laughs> were really fun in the news. And, uh, but you ran that very, very well. Uh, it was not like, a, you, not according to John Hotchkiss. Oh, right. <laughs> I just walked on a strike line with the other day. Nice. By the way. Yeah. Uh, no, but you, by well, I mean, you wanted the shortest distance from start to finish, no matter what. <laughs> That's that tracks. <laughs> but you you work fast though. Like I definitely could not work as fast as you. So I would like be very ner I would be very anxious. And if in late night, I think it works this way in most places, you meet in the morning and then it's kind of like everyone go right for 90 minutes. Yeah. And in that 90 minutes, you are expected to produce a lot. Yeah. And that was mm. nerve-wracking for me. Well, you uh -huh. always you always had great stuff. Uh, I remember for in the news, I can I can picture almost like it's so weird having a flashback to that. I can picture like the the standard format of your pitches specifically because you did add more conceptual stuff in there. So there were actual like stage directions and breaks. Whereas when I would get like Ross Abrash's, you know, it was just like I had to like towel Gatorade down before <laughs> I would read them. <laughs> But yours were always so refreshingly different. And I was like, oh, thank God. Like, there's another yeah. voice here uh, in the and choir. And half a page. That's what you really <laughs> Right, right. And I'm like, I'll take that any day. <laughs> okay, so I leave, Wellesley and I leave 
the late late show and in comes this breath of fresh air here uh on our screen goldie and from what i remember goldie wasn't your first moment at television city uh linked to mike here yeah i don't know if you'll remember this but i was so nervous about having this job and somehow blowing it that I showed up at TV City at 6 a.m. the first day and they wouldn't let me in. So I was just sitting on the little patch of lawn in front of the guard gate and you drove in at probably about eight. Oh my uh, God. And you said, like, what are you doing? And I said, well, I got here really early. And you're like, just, all right, come in. <laughs> and you let me in. I went in with you. That's really uh, sweet. <laughs> yeah. Linked. But yeah. I remember I remember a lot of times lying down on the couch in your office, just sort of you performing amateur therapy on me. <laughs> oh, yeah. man. That, yeah. yeah, at that yeah. time, you seemed to have it all together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look what happened. Look what happened. Now he's got Pennsylvania on his hat. Nobody knows what's going on with Mike. Yeah, like most therapists in this town, I'm a complete disaster. <laughs> so we, Goldie and I talk about Craig often on the podcast because we both have fond, funny memories of him. Do you, is there anything that sticks out for you as something that still kind of makes you laugh to this day? I know that. Oh my God. I, uh, there's a million things. That show was so, you know, Craig was the first late night host to be bored with late night. All he wanted, <laughs> all he wanted to do was play games, which is, all that late night does now. Yes. And right. he got reamed for like, remember we had game Matic, which was with the second guest. And yes. so like LaSalle would be like, America wants to see a conversation. <laughs> yeah. conversation. Yeah. No, they don't. <laughs> yeah, this, you don't understand how T it's not Johnny Carson anymore. They've seen this conversation, six other places and yes. we are not high on the list. So <laughs> um, no, one of my favorite memories is actually you, Alec. So there was a, a year or so where he would call us in there because I guess he viewed us as you're running what's going on in the news. And then I was on the other everything stuff, else, uh, everything yeah. else. Right. So he'd call the two of us in and you were on the couch and I had my back to the window. Now, all of a sudden, Kilborn found the Internet. And one of the first <laughs> things he found was NBA.com. So I'd be sitting there. And again, like I was more anxious every night. I like couldn't believe we pulled off a show because Craig is, and I think he would agree, unproducible. So, <laughs> so we would sit there and then he was in the NBA. And I'm so his desk is to my left and he's facing me. So the back of his computer is right here. You're yeah. on the couch and he'd be all of a sudden, I mean, after fucking 25 minutes of sulk, 86. How many assists do you think Mo Cheeks got? And <laughs> after a half hour of that, I look at you and you give me the nod. I unplug his Ethernet. And all of a sudden he's like, all of a sudden he's like, oh shit, I didn't get to like Mo Cheeks in 87. And and I'm like, I know it's spotty. Like Dorian said, the buildings did. And 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 you Sulka would be like, oh my, I didn't even have internet all morning. And like we would have to lie to him. That the internet was down, <laughs> and then so I'd have to remember though to plug it back in before we left. But we would we would at least get to talk to him about the show before before like you know ten a.m. or whatever, or probably eleven at that point. Oh god! Does he that's... know this now? <laughs> I don't think he probably does. Probably not. No, I, I had totally won't. forgotten that. But as you said it, I have a vivid memory of your hand subtly reaching <laughs> oh. out to do that. And then, by the way, they see it would become cartoonish. He's like, how come I, it's months, I can't get a good connection. Like, 
Oh my God, so that good. makes me yeah. laugh so hard. Yes, and he was always, you're right, NBA.com, his big thing was with me or whoever was a big basketball fan, Goldie too, I'm sure, he would just say a player's name and we had to say whether or not we thought they had ever had a 50-point game. That was oh, like wow. his big thing. Yeah. Yeah. Kevin Gamble. Oh, he- I'm he like, was doing it last night, Goldie, right? The <laughs> college teams without it that don't end in S or whatever. Well, he was repeating something yeah. that Tiger Woods had said. He was <laughs> sitting with Tiger Woods, and Tiger Woods' big conversation starter was there are six college teams that don't end with an S. And then Craig had mentioned where Robert Parrish had gone to college, which was called a Centenary, Centenary Gentleman. Cent- Centenary. That was right? the name of the school? Centenary Gentlemen. Whoa. Mm. Okay. And then apparently Tiger Woods was like, no, no, not them. They're a different division. Like he screwed up <laughs> the, uh, the whole thing. And, and then, the, then the vibe was off. Oh. It was Kilborn's first guest. And it was, it was an extra one. <laughs> oh, tonight we got him. Uh, Crimson yeah, Tide? I, Sorry. Oh. Uh, Crimson Tide? Yeah. 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 Fighting Irish was one. Oh. Crimson Illini. Tide. Also, the fighting Illini. Yes. Yeah. You're good yeah. at this. Wow. I, I couldn't have named six teams if you just said name six college teams. <laughs> I, know. I, I don't know. <laughs> Who cares? Okay. I've been out of college since, for what, 30 plus years. I'm, what am I, obsessed with boys? I don't care. <laughs> this is, well, there's, of course, the BC Eagle, BU Terrier. There you go. <laughs> Singular. We got it. We got it. This is easy. Yeah, the, wolf, the Wolverine. <laughs> yes. The Cornhusker. This is so simple. The long, but this is the 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 knock on Tiger Woods, which was always that Michael Jordan had to tell him, "Stop doing this stuff. You're Tiger Woods. You don't have to start conversations. People will talk to you and want to impress you." Yeah, because he said that when Tiger Woods hung out with Michael Jordan, I think Barkley, and they were like, "You're a nerd. Stop doing this." (laughs) (laughs) Poor guy. Oh boy, message received. Yeah, he he showed them, (laughs) didn't he? Um, all right. Well, so we had fun with Craig. God, he was, you're right, unproducible in many hilarious ways. Yeah. Definitely like a greyhound, like yeah. could run one race and would then be exhausted. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and but my my fun memories are sitting up in that rehearsal and watching him melt down when the booth didn't have what he wanted. <laughs> just just watching his physicality and his face fall and his, the way he would scratch his head like an yeah. and And, oh, and then his is so passive aggressive which oddly is maybe more professional than screaming he'd be like no this is great this is great it's great no, i don't even have to rehearse anymore let's just do the show this is great yeah yeah okay so nobody got this all right nobody yeah. all right. nobody got these pages you know what enough. let's not do rehearsal tomorrow because we're so good at this <laughs> yeah. uh, uh we're sorry sir that's my brian do we McElwain. do we go into the the ferguson transition where you just oh, left from, me holding the bag from craig <laughs> to craig <laughs> the satchel? absolutely goldie you took it and ran so uh, but I took it and ran into a wall. Wait, gi- so Gibby, you were not there with Ferguson, or were you like part of the new Craig Cull? Like we can't have any of Kilborn's no, no. People. Ferguson wanted actually wanted stability for some reason, wanted the transition. But I, Mary Connolly was an executive producer. Were, she, were you there when she was there? Yes, I was. That was the, the her first day there was the day that I I put in the news. There was a footage of uh, George Bush, and I had the Chiron added snipers wanted. Oh and, my God, that was yeah. her first day. Yeah, 
And the uh, uh, the FBI came to the office. Oh my god! I think it was a Friday, and the FBI was in the office all weekend. Yeah, and they took your computer, right? They did like, something, and I, and and I was literally like a seven year old who had like eaten something he knew he wasn't supposed to. And yeah. like Mary was like, "Did you put that in the news?" I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> I'm like, kind of your job to see that last line of defense. I'm surprised they didn't killed- then use you and turn you to bust a giant weed ring. <laughs> <laughs> a giant, a giant weed Just ring. Just a smoke ring. Uh, yeah. So okay. So Mary Connolly's there, and that, uh, is that when the Ferguson? Also, by the way, not moving on from that yeah. scandal. You also forced Kilborn to tell the world, I don't know what's over my shoulder when I'm doing the news. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I never, I never, well, but by the way, there's no denial more plausible than that for Craig. Right. Because <laughs> you would write really, really funny wordplay, uh, like captions to the pictures over his shoulder, which he had no idea. So sometimes there'd be laughs that interrupted him and he'd get annoyed, like, because they're laughing at your two-word caption yeah. of the news story. I remember he was telling a story about about Iran and I had it had Iran so far away and it took people to were laughing in the audience and it really annoyed him <laughs> okay all right there's something okay uh, um, anyway moving along quickly Mary Connolly then went created Ellen and said come on over to Ellen I'm like you know I'm on worldwide pants I'm under contract blah 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 and then the day Kilborn announced she was the first call saying come on over here and oddly and I'll quote her she said get over here it's the happiest place on earth you know, cut to cut to me three weeks there. Since when is someone crying every single day and the happiest place on earth? Oh, but whoa. so I stayed and produced, I produced everyone that auditioned for his spots. And then, and that was wild. And that's, audition, that's sorry, audition for Craig Ferguson's yeah. spot. And that's a very good lesson in um, comedy variety and getting, reading your host. And as a writer of, in comedy variety, especially, and in sitcoms, you're writing to your characters. Well, your character in this is a real person you work with every day and you have to find out their voice and we'll get to Norm in a minute, but like you really have to know their voice. And so it was every week was a new host. Anna Gasteyer is like, I want to do the monologue on piano. It's like, oh, well, that's a very different voice from Adam Carolla. I made the mistake with Adam Carolla of saying, call me anytime. Like you can literally call me at midnight, (laughs) you know, just to ease his fears. The guy didn't stop calling. So I get one call at midnight and he's like, hey, I got the monologue tomorrow. I'm like, oh man, great. And he's like, yeah, let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen a squirrel take a shit? And I'm like, (laughs) I go, what? And I go, no, have you? He's like, you can't not see a bird take a shit. Have you ever seen a squirrel take a shit? I'm like, and I I had to walk in my closet in my bedroom. My wife's asleep. It's midnight. I'm like, Actually, I don't think I've seen a squirrel take a shit. He's like, that's the monologue tomorrow. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> Did he do You're it? You're not going to get this job, right. but okay. <laughs> Did you he- hosted it too. Yeah, I hosted it actually. It gave me an hour. And and Goldie, I do remember like you and a bunch of the other writers like were so, you know, I have that unworthy thing and I still had it. And now I'm going to be, you know, Letterman said my name, which I told him in a funny way that that was my favorite part of how absolutely puzzled David Letterman looked when he's like, next up, Mike Gibbons. And he went like this <laughs> and looked to Paul and Paul goes like this. <laughs> the double whammy. That's great. <laughs> That's great. I told Letterman that and he died laughing. And meanwhile, he has no memory of it at all. Like in, He doesn't know me still. 
And so, <laughs> but Goldie was so sweet. Like I've never seen, you hadn't worked that hard in a long, like it was the writer <laughs> just did everything to empower me. I think you might have even written my, the first joke, which is, you know, my mom, uh, my mom knows I'm doing say, and her only advice was don't be yourself. Uh, <laughs> that sounds very Goldie. Yeah. That's great. You'll oh, be that's... fine. Just don't be yourself. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So anyway, went to Ellen, all that, and yeah. uh, and then got in Comedy Variety. Kilborn was the longest job I've ever had. How long was that? That was five, five years. Wow. And then and then it was uh, David Spade, you know, uh, just a long list of uh, hosts in that Comedy Variety yeah. space. And now you, you promised that we would get to Norm in a minute, and uh, then you talked for like five. So let's get to <laughs> Norm now. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. said, Alec really doesn't like when I compliment Goldie. Cut it out. Cut it out. <laughs> yeah, we'll 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 edit that, JC. Um, but so we love Norm. We make no secret of that here. We're going out on a limb. We love him. Yeah. But, so, what was your involvement with with Norm, and and how was that experience with you? It was the it was the best. He he, he is maybe the biggest brain I've ever been around, and uh, and he would and he just loved telling stories and and not working, but then he would work really hard when he, so we, I was working with Daniel Kellison on sports show with Norm Macdonald on comedy central when, and we begged comedy central at the end, just lose sports, just the norm show, because we just did more jokes than sports. Although Norm was very good at it being a, a very intense gambling addict. And so, yeah. um, Kellison put a giant call out. I think we got like 230 packets and Norm liked two. And uh, one wow. was, you know, Doug Perkins from the Late Late Show, right? And another was this guy Ben Hoffman, who I've I've worked with since. And so those two packets were the only ones. Saying. So he was this unbelievable read. And and one of the confusing things was anytime someone went dirty, which is an easy thing to do. Like his his most famous joke was probably crack whore, and but when you'd read that, he'd be like, ah. ah. And he just wanted more interesting. And he didn't like when people wrote in his voice. He liked the fewest words possible. Don't put, ah, you know, ah, you know, like any effort at yeah, that. Yeah. He just wanted, he'll make it that. He just wanted pure. But that became a pain in the ass sometimes. Like, I remember sometimes he'd have this, such a high bar for jokes. I loved this joke. I thought it was the most norm joke that week. And uh, he wouldn't do it. So the joke was, uh, we're in the writer's room. The joke was uh, the NBA.com has come out with the 100 greatest NBA shots of all time. And typical norm, like, and coming in at number one, whatever shot Magic Johnson takes every morning. Uh. And, <laughs> and the room died laughing and it was great. And he's like, it's not, a, it's not, he doesn't take a shot. It's a cocktail. Oh, no. Oh, I know. Wow. Oh, and I'm like, wow. not you, Norm. You're not oh. going to be joke police, are you? <laughs> and uh, and he was. Uh, oh, and that, so he never did that. Yeah. That's that's wow. very that's very Seth, our Seth-like, to to hone in on some small detail that ruins a joke. And you're like, ah, oh, fuck, nobody knows. Come on. <laughs> and then I told Goldie I had a story that really speaks to writing and, and like learning a, a voice. And so I was hired because... I mean, I was such a nerd when I could not miss Norm on SNL update. Like I, I remember oh. vividly being at a Christmas party and they had it on in the corner of some apartment in New York. And I went over and turned the volume. Like it was, it was like, a, I was like a junkie. And so I really, you know, knew his voice. And when I interviewed him multiple times with him to get the job, I 
clearly convinced him I did. And then I was, I wrote really well for him, probably best I've written for anybody. But I remember when the reviews came in, <clears throat> I was alone with him in the writer's room. And I go, do you want me to read some of these? I go, they're actually not bad. And he's like, yeah, all right, sure. So I started reading it. And uh, it's like, first one, well, Norm MacDonald's back with his uh, sardonic, you know, sarcasm. It was something like that. And he kind of like, I hear him exhale. And I'm like, no, I go, this this, this one's actually, uh, the first one I'm reading is a good one. Mm -hmm. And he's like, uh, no, no, it's not that. He's like, he's like, I hate when they call, they call me sarcastic because I'm not. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and in my head, I'm like, well, I go, what do you mean? And he goes, well, I really don't respect sarcasm. And I really always actually try to say the literal truth. And it was one of those like rack focus moments in a movie. <laughs> and all of a sudden I'm like, Lisa Marie's more of a stay at home type. And Michael Jackson's more of a homosexual pedophile. And <laughs> the Heisman Trophy, they'll never take that away from you unless you kill your wife and a waiter. And Kenny G has a new Christmas album. Happy birthday to Jesus. Hope you like crap. And I'm just like, oh my God, he's never sarcastic. Yeah. <laughs> it's all the literal truth. It's all true. They're uh, all like, and there's hundreds. My brain was going through everyone yeah. I every, nerded every, up on. Every WNBA joke he's ever made. Like, oh. but before, I remember that one where he said that the WA is expanding from eight teams to 10 teams. And he said, yeah. but before you get too excited, remember all the players are still women. <laughs> God, ouch. Laughing my ass but off. But did that, that inform your writing from that point on? Did it then, did you start to sh a shift in your writing after that? Well, I, what I realized, and this is the most interesting part is I was writing that like, like when you guys even do your norm jokes, like, you know, when you tend to do it once in a while in that style of the Johnny jokes, you guys will even be like, and they forget, like, it's a platter, but you know, like he is screaming out the real the literal, thing. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. And even crack whore, which is absurd, but that would be the worst job. Yes. <laughs> until, <laughs> until, you know, he updated it the next year and the new number one was assistant crack whore. <laughs> right, that's right. So funny. Well, you got to think that, that the moment you smoke the crack it's a, probably the best job in the world right and then the rest of it's bad <laughs> don't tell norm he won't do that joke again <laughs> yeah that's right that's right oh shit um all right so goldie let's do you have questions for mike about brody i want to talk about brody so you and i have talked some about your working with brody and sort of we're we're both such huge fans of his and yet he was one of the most difficult people to deal with ever uh, so talk about like, you managed to get more out of him than almost anyone yes. somehow. Yeah. So what was that process like? Well, my crazy stepbrother, Jeff Nichols, was a stand new Brody and introduced me in New York. So I met Brody when he was a barker outside of the, the uh, comedy cellar. So I did have that old history with him. And you guys knew him in New York. Yeah. So anyway, I just knew him for what he was. And and genuinely loved him just like most comedians and writers did. It was the back of the room love for this unbelievably unique guy who would, it's not even bombing in a standard way. Like it was, you know, all that where you turn on the audience, but so here was the HBO. So this is what happened. I'm friends with Galifianakis and Galifianakis just worships Brody and they're they're even better friends than than I was with Brody way yeah. better so then it's like let's do a show and the the premise I came up with was it's not a premise it's an idea I'm like 
you know how Gervais has that amazing guy that he sent uh, an idiot yeah. abroad. Yep. Uh, Pinking Pilkington, Carl. Yes. Nice. Everyone saw that because who does Ricky Gervais, the funniest guy in England, generally speaking, you could say, like, who does Gervais think is the funniest person? Well, this is who does Zach Galifianakis think is the genuinely thinks is the funniest person in America. And so why don't we do a story? He's already put him in uh, Hangover One. Brody would tell you, Hangover One, Hangover Two, due date, cut out of funny people. So he was already (laughs) trying to get him that, um, that path. How does this guy make it? And that's what it was going to be. So HBO, HBO of all places, wants to hear, you know, wants Zach to come in and pick. So we go in. So first of all, Zach and I are in the lobby of HBO and we're sitting there and Brody is a little bit uh, late. And all of a sudden we hear a tambourine in the lobby (laughs) and we're like, no. So he brings his tambourine, which he usually is while driving, playing drums on his, on his steering wheel or a tambourine. So he bring, he decides to bring the tambourine to the HBO meeting. We get in the HBO meeting I'd also and, like to just point out at this point, his car had a leather exterior. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> yep. It's a Brodyism. And uh, so in the meeting, they start saying, like, Zach, you're, you're so great. You brought this project. And he's like, listen. <laughs> and he does the tambourine and interrupts him. He's like, HBO gets it. <laughs> and the whole room just looks. And I think they were thinking, like, uh yeah we followed sopranos with the wire yeah, yeah we get it <laughs> think we get it and he goes and uh and then he starts talking about bits he wants to do which are just not bits at all but uh. zach and i knew kind of how to handle them and so when the when the room started to lose air all of a sudden zach just goes brody top five streets in la and he's like satakoy and just <laughs> Oh, it was like it. having a dog, like, oh, hold up this hoop fast and he's going to jump through it. Like, he just will instinctually, <laughs> yes. instinctually just jump through this fucking hoop. So the pitch literally goes like that. And um, and all of a sudden, they're at the end. They're like, well, we love this. We want to do it. And Zach goes, did you hear a fucking word we just said? <laughs> like, how are you picking this up? So we picked it up and it was just that idea. And then we made the pilot. And during... When, when the pilot was being edited and they and they picked up the show for sure, Brody had his mental breakdown. And that's what really handed us the best show, because now it wasn't going to be like a reality show where we're like, let's put Brody, you know, give him challenges that are artificial and fake and inorganic. Now it really was about a guy with 17 days in the UCLA psych ward, undiagnosed uh, bipolar disorder. And it was he was only diagnosed for depression which is one of the biggest myths. So I also felt I was, we were all doing good as well because these doctors who would never appear on TV go, wait a minute, was he diagnosed as depressive and not bipolar? I'll be on your show then because this word has to get out. It's one of right. the most, the biggest, but he was amazing. Um, oh, yeah, he's so one of the most unique guys. When he, on that show, when he dumped his Vespa, <laughs> yeah, that was one of the funniest moments in in anything ever and that was unplanned i'm assuming oh, real 100 unplanned absolutely and he was furious about it <laughs> describe describe what that was goldie i can't quite remember that moment what, what was that i don't remember the context of it i just remember it being some moment where you know the hero's supposed to pull away on his motorcycle <laughs> and he just instantly <laughs> Gets on this. It was, it was the final episode, final moment. We come out and we had like those little Canon 5Ds. We were really run and gun because 
we did not want to get in the way of stuff that happened. So we never like lit because the five Ds were so forgiving with light. I just said like, there is no second take with Brody. Like that was the rule on set. I go, so we have to be ready. So we were all ready when it came out and it was a glory moment as Goldie describes. And it was at like, I think it was like the screening party for his show. So he's finally made it. His mom is there. Her dog, Daisy, of course, is there. Uh, his sister is there. They're still fighting about the mom's apartment. And and it was this big glory moment. And he walked out and he does very, you know, bad stuff like, yes, you know, and like, <laughs> and he, he's like, we're like, you should look like victorious. You just had this big win, the first win. And so he come out, he's like, that was my win. I'm victorious. <laughs> <laughs> He would say the exact direction he gave him. And then, and also look right at, he only had a relationship with the camera. Even when, like there was one famous scene where he's talking, he's like, he's looking right in the camera. And he's like, she has my apartment. Like my mom, mom, mom left it to both of us. I don't know why she, and all of a sudden you hear, are you talking to me? And the camera wide is his sister's oh, arm right there. <laughs> so anyway, he comes out, a uh, big win. I'm victorious. And he gets on the Vespa and he cranks it up. And I think he didn't get off the kickstand. So the <laughs> wheel was already flying and then it hit the ground and it was wheelie and wipe out. Oh and I'm just like, Got that. Please tell me you got that. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. Oh, man. Rest in peace, Brody. We yeah. love you. You made us he's, laugh. He's, so uh, hard. he's doing kettlebell swings in the middle of heaven. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bothering Constantly. people. He's screaming at God at some comedy show up there. Yeah. <laughs> no, I hate you first, God. Uh, he's so. Oh, funny. his Conan set that we did, they still talk about it. You know, and all the Conan writers loved him. And they had him on. And uh, I remember a joke. This is on a real Conan that Conan was cool enough, you know, because of Zach and all, like to let us be a fly on the wall. And actually very rare when a production lets you film their production and they let us film it. And some joke didn't go well. And Brody goes, come on, people. I've done table reads on this lot. It doesn't matter how specific the audience is for any of his jokes. He will yeah. just always go for it. Yeah. The I guess the there's a famous story about I guess there was some uh showcase at the comedy store and it was all these agents and no one was doing well and everyone was bombing and they were people were worried it was gonna hurt their career. And so I guess Brody gets up and goes I'm hip pocketing you. <laughs> the room exploded, but that's just such a a useless, non-transferable, yes. funny moment. Like it will only work then and there ever. Oh, he was yeah, so it's funny. an agent term. Yeah. That um, I don't even know well. I me either. It doesn't even make sense when you do understand it. <laughs> <laughs> There's no need to explain it. So Mike, you've been very generous with your time, and I and I did see that. Uh, we talked a little bit about uh, how you've recently worked with Letterman. So obviously, Norm Brody, Letterman, like this, these are these people are on our Mount Rushmore of comedy. What mm -hmm. you say, you caught Letterman at, at a great time in his career. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience working with him? I mean, I, I don't want to say I caught him at a great time in his career. All I can say is, you know, I've heard stories. You know, he's a very he's a pure artist, and uh, and I think was. You know, it wasn't it was famously a dysfunctional workplace in New York and right. he could have a temper and everything. I'm not talking at a turn or at a school. You know, no. it's all in books and movies. Yeah. I could not have had a happier guy. And Mike Sweeney, 
you know, famously from Conan and a great stand-up. It was he and I were the only two writers. Wow. He treated us. You two are so similar, by the way. Has anyone else said that in terms of humor? I mean, he he mentioned that to me. He had heard that, and of course, but I, I knew that about him because I could, you know, he is high-profile guy, you know. But yeah. but we have a lot of friends in common. One thing I prided myself on is I I I, I think I found very good writers. Although Alec found you, Goldie, but his he would show me your stuff from Boston or New York every day. And I was just like, we have to hire, you know, we have to hire this guy, but Alec gets all the credit, but I pride myself. And so I found a lot of writers that actually then went to Conan and became, you know, big writers there and stuff. Uh, Dubuche, actually, you guys know a lot, you know, Dubuche mm-hmm. was one of them, you yeah. know, I, I hired him on Ferris. And so anyway, so we got along very good as co-head, right. You know, co-writers, he was head writer, co- co-writers. And, but Letterman was just so professional so nice and you could tell you know and you know sweetie and i have spent our lives like scared of hosts you know like you know in the wrath and they're when they can get impatient and they have every right to be at certain points so we are just like i think dogs that are just reading energy the whole time and it never like one time and it wasn't with us i think it was with production we sensed that it's a little like dad's angry you know that thing mm-hmm. and i'm sure you guys get it with seth and every host yeah. exhibits that and so the the experienced writers which you can't get i mean you can get a lot of it from being in a dysfunctional home maybe but you you <laughs> learn to really read read the host first as as best you can and some of it's unconscious but we really did, i thought we'd have to do so much more of that letterman was amazing he was so funny and then Kip Madsen, who was yep. not a writer, Kip Madsen was on the Late Late Show. He was an intern there, and he was always absurd and good. So he sent in a joke, and I was very afraid to write a joke like that. But it was a joke where it was on for this Netflix show with young comics, and um, and and Letterman does a monologue up top, and that's what we were writing. And yeah. so he does a monologue, and then he says some joke about the about the theaters being across the street from the Pep Boys or something like that. And Kip wrote a tag, which is, ever go to Pep Boys, Paul? And, <laughs> and we were scared. Like, you know, Sweet yeah. and I were terrified to reference. He doesn't yeah. want to do that. Who knows what his relationship with Paul is? And that was Letterman's favorite. He chuckled. That was the best thing ever. He chuckled like a baby every time he read it, like in, like, like in dress, this. He bent over, like in this high-pitched Letterman chuckle. And that's that so was one of my one of my career highlights was seeing Letterman laugh like a baby. Oh, uh, that's great! Good for Kip. Good for you. Yeah, um, Mike, it's always a pleasure talking with you. I hope the next dinner with uh, that you guys have with Kilborn, maybe I get an invite too. Who the hell knows? But so, Mike, in addition to everything you've worked on, you're currently doing a hilarious podcast with Greg Fitzsimmons called Sunday Papers. Um, it's really funny. So if you think that we're funny at all and you're listening now, these these guys are hilarious. Greg is so funny. You're hilarious on the show. So oh, please thanks. check yeah, that out. Started during the pandemic. Kind of nice. like you guys. Yeah. 
Definitely. Yeah. Well, we were a little we were a little later than you, and to varying, de- varying degrees of success, <laughs> you just cut on a little faster. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're the slow build. Yeah. The slow build here over here. Um, but Mike, thank you so much for talking oh, with us podcast today. Podcast by writers for writers <laughs> who have swimming pools. That's right. That are in various stages of completion. Your demo is pretty. You're going uh, right. Yeah, it's pretty. <laughs> we got a Brody joke demo. Um, all right, Mike, thank you so much for being no, here. No, this today. podcast is amazing. I, both of you know I've listened. I even wrote in as a fan. You did? Um, sorry, oh. I was talking about the connection is fake. <laughs> no, I mean our personal connection. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I think you're pulling your own Ethernet cable. Oh, Mike's breaking up. His connection's fine, but he's breaking up. <laughs> all right, well, that was the opposite of the Irish goodbye. Thank you. That really was. All right, thanks, guys. Right. Thanks for thanks, having me Mike. on. I love the podcast. Thank you, Mike. We love yours. That was awesome. All right, yes. take care. Oh, God, so fun talking with Mike. He's hilarious. Our old buddy, yeah, he's so funny. God, he's got great stories. He's worked with so many great people, and we miss Brody. Uh, But now let's get into a portion of the show we like to call Top Five. Top Five. (laughs) Oh, we sound lovely today. Goldie, tell the folks what we got. Okay, the Top Five Best-Looking People in History. All right. This is tough. Here we go. Number five. J-Lo. Oh, Ooh, God. Choice. I wanted to put her on my list. I love her, too. There's not enough, not enough slots for the, all the people. Oh, easy. What'd you call JC, her? Yeah, let's come on. <laughs> come on. Women helping women, it's supposed to be. Uh, number four, Salma Hayek. Ooh, oh, good I'm sensing good a theme. You have good taste. Yeah. Number three, <laughs> Shakira. <laughs> uh, is that true? She's sure. yeah, amazing. She's, she's yeah. very attractive. Number two. Ava Mendez. Oh, <laughs> Goldie, Goldie, you son of a bitch. <laughs> and number one, Brad Pitt. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. So good. Is it my, I, you're next yes. week, right, Alex? So I'm next? Yes. Okay, my number five is extremely obscure. Um, okay. Uh, we're obsessed with Fornicetti. This this brand of like homeware and it's this face, this woman's face. Her name is Lena Cavalieri. She was an opera singer that this artist was obsessed with. And we our house is laced with this woman's face. And she's so I think she's just this beautiful, almost haunting eyes. Say and the name we, again. Lena Cavalieri. Okay. She was an opera singer. But uh, we I, we look at her face. I mean, it's all over. <laughs> we have plates and candles. I mean, we're obsessed. That's so, awesome. um, so number four, yeah, Brad Pitt. Ooh, we have yeah. overlap. Our crossover. <laughs> underlap, underlap. Number three, <laughs> Paul Newman. Yeah. Oh, good one. Yes. Yeah, the Nooms. Number two, Sophia Loren. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And my mm-hmm. number one, which I also feel maybe off people's radar, is Monica Bellucci. Oh yeah. Yeah, she was she was she, very yeah. She's unbelievable. I think she she's had a, unbelievable. a long run of being very hot. Yes. She's yeah. a, she's unbelievable. Yeah. Uncontainably mm. sick. I don't know who that is. I just looked her up. That's a Oh, she's an actress. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. like a Okay. Beautiful. She's in Beetlejuice too. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> the hottest person ever is the fourth lead from Beetlejuice too. <laughs> 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 All right, Goldie, I like this category. Uh, number five for me, and come on, honoring honoring the late great Arthur of New York, 
Robert Redford. <laughs> I told yeah. Stu you'd Number have him on five there. is Redford. I, I find, and I put him on instead of Brad Pitt because I find them kind of similar, but I think Redford for me had A, better hair back in the day, and B, a little more interesting. He's not quite as perfect, and somehow that makes him more attractive. And I do, I remember, I feel like when I first met you, you telling me that when you watched A River Runs Through It, you couldn't get your dick out of your hand. (laughs) (laughs) I knew that story was a lie when you got to A River Runs Through It. (laughs) I've never seen that. Uh, Okay, number four for me. And I did a little, I put a, I kind of put them in places. Number four for me, Grace Kelly mm. in rear, in rear window. Yes. Oh my goodness. Stunned. Good Lord. She's, She's gorgeous. gorgeous. Number two, I mean, I'm sorry. Number three, sort of in a similar area, Julie Christie in Dr. Zhivago. Oh, right. oh my word. <laughs> and uh, number two. Anna de Armas. Yeah, she's, oh. she's gorgeous. Cradle oh. robber. <laughs> she's, what are we talking about? She's I'm 30. Kidding. I don't know. <laughs> and I, no- I barely, like, I just learned who that is. I realized, like, okay, I'm going to have to know this person about <laughs> yeah. a month ago. Well, learn more. I mean, based on your list, she should be on there. That's true, yeah. Uh, and number one, you two assholes. Number one, my wife. Oh, oh, come on. No, guess I, Don't do that. Wait, I, I can't the, believe you. The first time I saw her face at a meeting, and this was in time. like 2000 and, I don't know, one, maybe in 2000, I saw her. She was a junior executive. I just started as a writer. I met her in a meeting. I We left the meeting, me and Wellesley, and I turned to him and I said, I am going to marry her. Oh it my took God. a really long time. We're still and you still have it. Yeah, we st- we're still technically not married, but but- she was that stunningly gorgeous, and yeah, still is. Still is. Okay, still is. listen. She's she's striking, but the the the, the notion that we were going to do our spouses, yes. I feel like there's a tacit agreement. I agree, Goldie. No, I actually, we're not doing no, spouses okay. for this. Yeah, All right. And, uh, so JC hates Stu. No, no. Okay, but wait, wait, wait. We got that. I, let's, I actually <laughs> said I cannot say Stu because the guys will roast me. I said who did that. You say, who'd you say that to? I, we're, I was talking about the top five with my friends last night. Obviously, it's a mat, it's, it's sort of unspoken that like when we do this, it's, you know, for fun and we're not <laughs> like at, at, very uh, covering unspoken. personal bases in every time. <laughs> we have to specify from unspoken. now on, Goldie. That's yeah. okay. You guys will make up for it, I'm sure. <laughs> Um, I already had to explain right. to Stu. But that was, boy, what a great, yeah. cat- that was a great category. It, it was, was, very yeah. fun Thanks. to think about attractive people. Now, Goldie, you're going to hate this one at first, but I guarantee you when you dive into it, you're going to like it. Next week, top five Bob Seger songs. Uh, I like it. I just don't think that we're going to have much them? variance. But Oh, I, yes, I, we will. Trust okay. me, because that's, even... that's the fun part about Bob Seger. He goes. Is he has seven good songs. No, I don't even know. Twenty. You know who Bob Seger is. No, but is. I mean, like, I don't like any of his songs. So I guess t- the top five for me would be the songs that I like, hate the least. You're, you're still mad about the stew thing. No, aren't you? night moves. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Against the wind. Day, oh, those day are both, moves. Those are two. Those are two awesome songs. <laughs> day With moves. The wind. Morning moves. <laughs> Hollywood mornings. <laughs> I'm telling you, Shame on get the into sun. these songs. His list is very long and great. We're doing it. Top right. five Robert right. Seeger songs next week. <laughs> All right. Goldie, great category. I'm looking forward to next week's category at least. And now let's end the show like we always do on a high note. 
Ah, Tom and Max, thank you so much. Um, mine is short and brief. Uh, Tall is out of town this week, so I'm Mr. Momming it with Levy, and I always love that. We just have a great time together, and we're only on day two, so she isn't driving me insane. <laughs> how many days? <laughs> how many days do you have? I, well, until, only until uh, Friday, so just like three oh, more days. Be fun. But it's it's just very fun when I hang out with her, and she's growing. She's yes. growing. I keep telling her stop growing, <laughs> but she keeps growing. It's just a very she? it's very sweet. Yeah, it's nice, Goldie. Uh, so I read another great book. Wow. Um, the Wager. Ooh. Now this this is a book about uh in the 1700s there was a British shipping expedition I think it was five ships and they were going to intercept a Spanish galleon and steal the treasure and bring it back to England. Wow. But it involved going around Cape Horn which mm. if anyone ever asks you to go around Cape Horn say no no thank yeah. you yeah. I'll meet you on the other on one side or the other of Cape Horn but I will not be traveling around it with you so this ship gets separated from the expedition it it runs basically aground it splinters up and by that time there had been so much scurvy and so much going wrong that of the 300 people on the ship there were maybe 50 left wow and they were all scurvy scurvied out yeah. so then the ship they half blamed the captain for this and they essentially kind of mutinied without mutinying but they formed their own society and the, the other half was loyal to the captain who was very sick so that the half that had mutinied used materials from the old ship and built a second ship wow. and, and and got off this uninhabitable island after like a year and went you know had this incredible second expedition they make it back to england and they and one of the guys writes a history of all this to kind of say because mutiny used to be a big thing. We don't yeah. face it as much today. There's not as much danger around mutiny, but mutiny used to be your life would be ruined. So they write a, a history of what happened, and then wouldn't you know, two years later, a ship comes over oh the horizon <laughs> with the original captain <laughs> who had <laughs> built this another jalopy out of scraps, and they had to have this whole trial over what happened wow. on this expedition it is an unbelievable story you should it's buy the, the wager you should buy the rights to it that's great i, I assume they'll get a real <laughs> writer <laughs> oh come, come on. on but i encourage everyone out there to read this book wow. i i couldn't believe how good it was awesome great recommendation riveting um jc what do you get well my mine was we went to a restaurant this weekend in little ethiopia incredible with our friends fred and Allie. We went to Mercato. It's called Mercato. It has a market next to it, but it was some of the cleanest, most delicious Ethiopian food, if you like it. It's like a legendary place. Anthony great. Bourdain, it was yeah. one of his favorite spots. And Awesome. Uh, yeah. Good shout name. out. This is going to, their business yeah, is going to go <laughs> through the roof. <laughs> Mentioned on this pod. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that was fun. Fun list, fun high notes. And, and are you officially saying, Alec, you don't have to be a valedictorian to eat there, but it sure helps. <laughs> Swept so wait, in by a popular Did you guys vote. have grades? You had no grades at your school? 
No, we did. Mine just weren't good. <laughs> they were in, in no Whoever way. Whoever was got the best grades must have so just pissed. been living over there. I know. There. I know. Yeah. Well, some... Wait, so I work hard for four years. <laughs> this guy wins some sort of like <laughs> crazy know. vote. Basically, we they hired a carnival barker instead of the guy who got straight A's for four years in a row. Yep. That's me, the C minus kid. That's right. It was in um, boys' school. Anyway, that was that was so fun talking with Mike Gibbons this week. Yeah. We're going to be talking with Dana Gould next week. We're incredibly excited yes. for that. Then, god damn it, it's going to be Scully and fucking John Viner. But yeah, we'll deal with that. We'll fun. talk more about that next week. Um, thank you two for being awesome. Thank you. thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you again next week. But not in two weeks. <laughs> that was fun. And it stops right now. I was going to say a week.